0: Hello and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. In this new teaching series called Resilient Faith, we'll explore what it means to have a resilient faith in the middle of a digital age. Each week we'll explore what it means to have faith in a world with strange new customs, habits, and gods. So let's turn now, to part four of our series, Faith That Listens. Well, good morning again. If you want to follow along with me in your Bible this morning, uh, turn to Ezekiel chapter 12. That's uh, where I'll be going for the most part today. There are a couple other places that I'll, I'll turn to as we look at Scripture this morning. But, you know, I, I've talked about the both and Grant and creating a world where we are living both in person and virtually. But, you know, as I've thought about What it means to live in this both and world, what it means to live in what this video and other research has described as the digital Babylon. There are a lot of things that have shifted in our lives about that. And I've talked about these every single week, right? We, we spend too much time on it, right? Some of us, three, four, five, six hours a day just on one device, not to mention all the others. We're working in front of it, so that just adds on the, the time that's spent in front of our screens. We start to form relationships around our, our use of digital screens, some have connected with each other with their partners for life through screens. I mean, that's their first entrance and introduction to each other that birth forth into a beautiful relationship. And so we're forming all kinds of relationships. Some of us, you know, we, we, because we have our screens, we think we know it all. In fact, I talked a little bit about this last week. We, we can discover anything. In fact, I, did you know that all of you who are here in person and online, you're mathematical geniuses? Did you know that? I mean, it's It's true. Like, I bet right now you could tell me what the square root of 443,556 is. You would know it, right? You, you know it? You guys know it? All you have to do, pull out the screen, right? You have your screen right here. And, and let me just teach you something. In case you didn't think your calculator could do this, you just turn it sideways, and you can do square roots, automatically turn into a scientific calculator. Isn't that fascinating? You don't have to go out and buy the TI-95. What's the What's the scientific calculator? That was, what is it? 84, 84, 84, TI-84. I I don't even know where they are anymore. Like, I'm so lost in this. You don't have to do any of that. Just pick up your phone, turn it sideways. You've got an automatic scientific calculator. Or if you're really smart, you just go to Google and be like, what is the square root of? And it'll tell you the answer. Now, I'm not going to tell you the answer of that, but you can go home and look at it later and see what it is. But this is the world that we're living in. And, And, you know, there's a part of this world, not only does it tell us we can form relationships and we can know it all and we can have all that, but it also tells us that we can hear all things. Now, this is the only time in the history of humanity where it, we are told that every voice is valued and equal. Right? If I want to let my voice be known to the world, all I have to do is get on a social media platform, whatever my favorite one is, and I can let the entire world know exactly what Samuel Burleson is all about, what he's feeling and thinking. And you can do the same, and I can go and find out what you're thinking, and we can share. And in that way, we feel like we can listen to everything, right? And as we've explored each of, each of these things, relationships and knowledge and listening the question that I have today is, are we listening to everything? In the world in which we're living, which shares or tells us that we can hear whatever we want and we can listen to a variety of perspectives, do we actually do this? Culture convinces us that we do. Culture convinces us that every voice has been elevated. But what appears to be happening over and over again in our digital world is that we're actually listening less and our screens are listening more. Right, if any of you have watched the 2020 documentary that came out on Netflix called Social Dilemma, then you sort of see this. That more and more, in fact, if, has anybody watched that who's here? Just so I can get anybody seen The Social Dilemma? So for those of you who have not seen The Social Dilemma, if you'd like to shut down your social media accounts... Go watch the social dilemma. That will be the thing that just trips you over the edge. Be like, I, I am done. Like everybody who watches it, like I'm deleting every social media account I have because we discover that that our screens themselves are listening to us. Right? It's we've said something out loud. We go into Facebook later and they have an advertisement for what we've said. We say, you know, we want to search something on Amazon, and the next thing we know, we look on Amazon and it's like right up there as a recommended item because they're listening to us and they're feeding us what they want us to hear. And so we don't just live into a world where we're able to listen to everything. We're actually listening less, and our screens are listening more to us. And here's what happens in an environment like that, and you've probably heard this phrase before. We start to live not in a world where we're listening to tons, but where we're listening to ourselves. This is the echo chamber that exists around us, where all we hear is what we have spoken out into the world being fed back to us by others around us. We don't hear the world as it is, we hear only what we want to hear in the world. And one of the, one of the greatest problems for followers of Christ in this new reality is that we have faced this reality for a long, long time. Now, this, I know this isn't true for all Christians everywhere and in all times, I know that's not the case, but there is a trend within Christianity of withdrawal. We pull back to only hear the voices that we want to hear, to only hear what we're thinking. And as bearers of truth, we hold something in our hands that others need. And we falsely assume in that environment that we don't need from them. That we don't need to engage, we just need to offer, offer, offer. And so we can withdraw and not listen and just continue to offer. You know, I'll never forget the first time this became a real reality for me. I'm sure many of you have seen, you know, driving around or going different places, Christians who... I call them placard Christians. They stand on the side of the road with a placard, right? Is that the word to use? They take a piece of poster board, and they just put a sign out there, and they stand with it. And I was going one night to a festival in Chattanooga called River Bend, and that night, Blues Travelers was there, right? I was stoked. I was so excited to go. I had gotten off work. It's a free festival every summer. It's outdoors. Ironically, it's right in the bend of the river. I mean, sort of aptly named, but... I was going down there to participate, and I'm just walking in, me and Aaron are, are going into this concert this night, and as I approach sort of the entrance to this festival outdoors, I see a man, and he's just standing on the side of the road, not saying a word to anyone, not really even looking in anyone's eyes, with a sign that says, repent, or you'll go to hell, right? And that's it. Nothing about it, and, and I walked up to the man, and, and I got kind of, you know, as, as we sometimes do, you get close enough to see if you can lock eyes with someone so they can recognize your presence. Now, they don't do that in New York City, but down here in the South, we do that from time to time. We look at each other, and their eyes didn't look me in the eyes, didn't address, you know, didn't even recognize that I was there, but he's standing there with this sign, offering something to the world, and that is the essence of placard Christianity. This is the essence of what it means to withdraw from society and stop listening, but think that you have something to offer without ever hearing what society really needs. And this is the tendency that that much like digital Babylon and much like the world that we're living in that creates this echo chamber, this is the reality that Christians have wrestled with for a long time where we just feel like we can offer without ever hearing. And and at the core of this problem right here is that there is a disconnect between that gentleman and, and sometimes us. Let's just face it. Sometimes we live into that world of placard Christianity There's a disconnect because he didn't bother listening. I felt a disconnect. I was a follower of Christ. I felt a disconnect from another follower of Christ because he didn't even bother listening to my story. Right? He didn't bother to hear what was going on around him. He didn't bother to hear what had brought people to Riverbend that night, what kind of problems they were wanting to, to let go of. I knew what brought me. The hook, the hook brings you back every time, doesn't it? I mean, that's exactly what brought me back. If y'all, if y'all are out of tune with blues travelers, you just need to go, go and pick that up. I knew Justin. I looked over here to Justin because so I'm like, I know you'll get this at least if nobody else does. But that's what brought me. I wanted to go. I wanted to let go of all of my, uh, my frustrations in college and all the pressures that were there and just be for a night. But he didn't even bother to uncover that, to uncover my hopes or dreams or anything that was going on in my life. In my life. What he offered is simply this. And sometimes in both people of faith and, and people who are outside of the faith, this is what we want to offer. We want to offer something unilaterally that's disconnected. And when we offer something unilaterally that is disconnected from the rest of the world, what ends up happening is we become irrelevant. Anybody ever heard this about faith? Right? Faith is just irrelevant to me. In fact, some of your family members, your friends, people in your community might say that. I just don't want to participate because it seems irrelevant. Here's why it seems irrelevant. Because the faith that is so often offered is unilateral and disconnected, and therefore, it's irrelevant. It doesn't touch on life because we've never bothered to listen to the world. And in a world that is increasingly caught in its own echo chamber, Christians are not the only ones who stand on the sidewalks anymore with placards. We all stand on sidewalks with placards. We're all expressing some sort of message to the world, and nobody is reading it because nobody is listening. Yet in a world of placard Christianity, what I want to argue today from Scripture is that there is a group of resilient disciples who are prepared to walk a different path. And I want to invite you on this different path today. I want to invite you into a place where, as resilient disciples, you can develop muscles of cultural discernment, where you can engage with the world exactly as it is, unafraid, and go into that world being bearers of light and of good news in that world, ready to receive from that world, ready to hear what the world has to say in its fullest in its fullest voice, ready to engage and be good cultural discerners. But the only way that you can be a good discerner of culture is actually to develop this skill that I'm talking about today of wise listening. You have to be able to listen. You have to be able to hear and discern. And in the stories of our faith, this is what I'm going to talk about from Scripture today. We see it in Ezekiel chapter 12. We see it in Jesus' teachings. We see it in John's revelation. There's an idiom that gets used over and over again in Scripture, and it's simply this idiom right here. Let he who has ears, or she who has ears, either way you want to say it, hear. Anybody ever heard that, that phrase, let he who has ears hear? This is a phrase that's used over and over again in Scripture. In fact, Jesus, he'll say it at the end of like a teaching. Like, for example, in Mark chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, he says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is neither uh, fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. They just throw it away. And so he gives this quick little parable, this quick little thing, and he closes that parable off by saying, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. This is the, the phrase. Now again, others pick up on this. In fact, John in the book of Revelation, the cosmic Christ is speaking to the universal church at the beginning. There are seven letters at the, seven, seven letters at the beginning of John's revelation. At the end of each one of them, this is interesting... This idiom comes up again. This phrase comes up again. Jesus speaks to the church at large. He speaks to the church of Ephesus, the church of Pergamum, the church of Sardis, the church of Thyatira, the church of Laodicea, the church of Philadelphia. He speaks to all of these churches, and as he speaks to them, he tells them something unique about their situation. He's listened to what's happening in that situation, and then he closes in this way. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He says in Revelation 2, verse 7, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And he does that in verse 7, and he does it again in verse 11, and he does it again in verse 17, and he does it again in verse 29, and then in chapter 3, verse uh, 6, he does it. 13, he does it. 22, he does Seven times, he says, let anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So there's this idiom that comes out, and the, the question is, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean each time the apostles or Christ himself uses this? What is he trying to pull out for us? And, and, and this phrase is not unique amongst Christians. It's used by both Jews and Christians and other ancient people. But it's an idiom that, that gets to this reality that if you have something that has been spoken into your life that you've heard, then you're ready to act upon it. It's not good enough just to listen and absorb it, but let he who has ears to hear listen. Meaning, let he who has received that word act upon that word. Act in accordance with the, the word that you've received. But there's this intricate interplay between actually listening to what's going on in the world around me and acting. You see, I have to hear appropriately in order to act in the right direction. I don't know if any of you have this problem, but my wife, she's the best at this. She'll sit in the house and she'll hear something in the house and it could take place over this direction. She's automatically like, what is going on over there, That's not going to be helpful at all. As she's hearing something, she's hearing in the wrong direction. But if we can hear correctly, then we can respond and move in the right direction. We can act in accordance to exactly what we've heard. And for Christians, correct action has always been simple. We know what correct action should be. It's the way of love. Jesus teaches this over and over again. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the correct action. There is no debate about it. The only question that arises is how we are listening to the world around us so that we can respond in love accordingly. Are we actually listening and hearing what's going on and are we able to then respond with the best form of love? Ultimately, this is the point of this particular saying for Christians. To deeply love or to love deeply, we must listen empathetically. We have to be a group of people who choose to listen to the world around us, to act in love, to act in it and with our words, with our deeds, with all of who we are. In order to be a people of love, we have to start with a posture of listening. And resilient disciples have discovered this. They've discovered this deep listening that enables them to understand what's happening in the culture around them and to see God at work in that culture, not a part of it, not apart from it, but working in the culture. And if we don't develop this, then here's the bad news of Scripture. And this is where Ezekiel comes to us in Ezekiel chapter 12. You see, the prophet Ezekiel makes this point particularly clear. Now, he doesn't tell us this idiom in the same way that Jesus does, in the same way that John does in the Revelation. In fact, he tells us the negative side of it. He flips it around. He, he's talking to us about what happens if you don't listen, and, and Ezekiel's pretty dramatic. I don't, if you've never read the book of Ezekiel, let me encourage you, go back, create some time in your devotional schedule to do this. All right, he, he's the kind of, you know, like some comedians in the world, they don't just use their voice, they use their bodies to get into it, right? You know, like comedians like Dane Cook, they'll tell a story, but they'll just, they'll be like bending all over the stage, and you're like, what is going on? Ezekiel's that type of prophet. He's been given a word from the Lord, but he always has to perform some sort of action in the middle of it. He has to move around as he's going through it. And sometimes the actions are off the wall, crazy, like just insane. This one's not so, so dramatic, but, but we still get kind of the point here. As he starts to offer his understanding of what's going on. And, and in the early part of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a man who lived through the exile. I talked to you about the great exile a few weeks ago of of this exile from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. Ezekiel lived in it. And so the first half of his oracles, they're all about warning. If you don't turn around, you're going into exile. If you don't turn around, you're going into exile. As you move later into his book, you start to see these sort of prophecies about what life looks like on the other side of exile. How can we navigate life in exile? And while you might think that I should go to the end, I want to go to the beginning. I want to see one of these phrases of warning here as he offers this to us. And if we look in chapter 12, we'll see one of these words of warning. Look with me at chapter 12 starting in verse 2. It begins there by saying mortal. Now let me just pause. This is a cool name that he gave himself, right? The other, the literal word here is son of man, but I just love this. You know, every time God refers to him, mortal. All right, it, just, it has this like, deep like undertone to it. Mortal, he says, you are living in the midst of a rebellious house. Now, I want you to highlight, underline rebellious because that becomes important to the overall understanding here. You're living in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but do not see, and here's our idiom, who have ears to hear but they do not hear for they are a rebellious house. Now, unlike what Jesus is getting at, that if you have ears to hear, let them listen. You have heard what's going on. You act accordingly. A rebellious group of people are the people who have indeed heard, but they're not acting. They're not responding accordingly. The the, the noise is going forth. The listening is happening, and they've been able to engage with that, but they're actually not responding. And, And so what he's about to unpack here is not the positive side of listening and acting in accordance with it, but the negative side. What happens if we as a group of people remain in our rebellious reality where we hear, but we don't act, and we don't act in accordance with where society is? So what is is actually going to take place in that particular environment? They have eyes to hear, but they've been shut. They They have eyes to see, but they've been shut. They have ears to hear, but they are closed. And now they are doomed to live in the midst of a perpetual exile. You ask the question, what happens if we live in our rebellion and we don't ever act? The answer from this, at least, is that we are doomed to create an exile of our own making. We will live into that particular exile. Ezekiel says to the house of Israel, rebellious house at this particular period of time, you are doomed to exist in exile. And it's an exile that you'll live into over and over again, and it won't be one that has just happened in the world around you like we see, but it will be one that you have created and walked into. And you'll experience that. And you'll experience exile at every turn. You'll never be able to quite navigate whatever world you're in because you'll always feel like you're in exile. In fact, he goes on, and this is how he impacts it in the few verses that remain. Verse 3, for they are a rebellious house. He then goes on, therefore, mortal, prepare for yourself an exile's baggage. This is where he gets to the activity, right? Prepare for yourself an exile baggage. Go into exile by day in their sight. You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they will understand though they are a rebellious house. You shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exiles, and you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight as those do who go into exile. Dig through the wall in their sight. Carry the baggage through it in their sight. You shall lift the baggage on your shoulder and carry it out in the dark. You shall cover your face so that you may not see the land, for I have made you a sign." the house of Israel. Now, this is a dramatic action, and this is not make-believe. In fact, in the next few verses, I won't read those for you right now, but you see, Ezekiel actually does this. He does actually accomplish this task. He does take up the task to pick up his own baggage, to walk out at night, to dig under the wall, to expose himself in the day. All of these things, he's doing this dramatic action in front of everybody. He, he does this with his, his actions so that he can show what will happen to the house of Israel, this rebellious house. If they can tend you to live in their apathetic state. And unfortunately, even though their, their fate is not written in stone at this point in time, exile did become their reality. It is what they lived into. They didn't open their ears and hear the cries of the poor and the marginalized like he asked them to do. They didn't open their ears and turn away from their wicked market practices like he had asked them to do. They didn't listen to the cries of injustice from the world that they were living in. And when they didn't do this, when they didn't listen and act, exile came to them. It existed in their own hearts in that moment. And in the most dramatic of fashion, what happens is it comes first... And this is important to those who are in power. Look at verse 12. As after, after he comes out and he does all the things that, that he's going to, Jesus, or God actually responds. In verse 12, and the prince who is among, you, among them shall lift up his baggage on his shoulder in the dark and he shall go out. It's the prince, it's the rulers, and we know historically this actually did happen this way, that the, the rulers and those in authority were the first to leave when exile came. They were the first to be called out in this particular place and drug away to a new world. And, and even though this, again, may seem strange that it happened in this way, God explains this move to Ezekiel in this way. He says, the first to experience exile, the first in the society, and several layers of this society will experience it will be the ones who knew better. The ones who had the power to do something different in the society and they didn't do it. The princes, the rulers, the leaders, the wealthy, all of these. And this is how exile works in the paradigm that God's setting up here is those who have been given the gifts to bring transformation to the world will be the ones who go into exile first, who experience the hardships of exile first. And in the same way for us, even though we've all, as people, as followers of Christ, have been given this beautiful gift of the gospel to share with the world, a gospel that liberates all people, a gospel that transforms even the darkest of human hearts, even though we've been given that gift, if we hold that gift back, we are the ones who have to experience exile first. If we don't act on that gift, we'll feel that weight deep down in our hearts and we'll see that transformation. Those of us who have the means to make a difference, it may be because we know better, it may be because we actually have the means, whatever it is, those who have the means are doomed to experience that first. And Ezekiel doesn't hold back from the bad news. As you can tell, this is pretty bad news for the the people of Israel, for them as they're dealing with this. And this entire section is full of bad news. But there is a hope of transformation. And you saw it. In fact, I, I kind of read right through it, but let me highlight it once again. Back in the end of verse 3, it says there, Perhaps they will understand. Perhaps they will understand. Maybe there's, there's this glimmer of hope. Maybe if you do this action right here, maybe if you speak this word right here. You see, when we engage with the bad news of our society, when we can hear it and, and engage with it and just allow it to sort of settle around, listening to it, if you will, if we'll listen to the bad news as much as we will the good news, perhaps there is a chance that we will turn around. Even though we've persisted in our rebellion, even though we've persisted in our apathy, whatever that may be, perhaps there's a chance that we'll understand and we'll see and we'll hear once more where our ears have been clogged up before us. Because there's always good news. There's always this good news that rests as a kernel, even in the middle of the bad news. There's always hope of transformation, no matter where we go in our lives, no matter what we fall into. But to become a people of listening, and our listening leads us to action, there are a few things that I think we're gonna have to do as a society. And a few things are this. The first thing we need to do is we need to listen to it all, right? Don't hide. I've been too many Christians in the world who've just hidden. They've buried their head in the sand, and they don't wanna see what's going on, and they don't wanna engage with the world that's around us. We've got, you know, if it weren't for COVID, there are many of our churches who would have never explored what it means to actually engage people who are at home. We've hidden from that technological advancement. We've hidden from the new reality of our world around us. And what I'm encouraging us to do is listen to all that is happening around us. Don't hide from it, but walk first into it and start seeing what's there and hearing what's there in all of these ways. And this, you know, this is, of course, I think, a point that Christians need to hear, but I think it's something that we all need to hear. You've lived in the world long enough to where you know that as a society, we need to start listening to each other. We need to start hearing what each other's saying and how we can engage with each other. Right? The only people we like to hear sometimes are just my people. I just like to hear my people, what they're saying, what they're going on and on about. But when we approach the world with listening, our world starts to grow. Right? If you only listen to my people, your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But if, if we'll come out of hiding for just a minute and we'll start hearing what other people are saying, then our world will start to grow and start to transform and we'll be able to go forward in that way. But the truth is, is we can't carry our faith into that world unless we first start listening to the stories of our faith. And this is maybe one of the most important things that I can offer to us. First of all, listen to it all. Don't hold back from listening to it all. Don't go into hiding. But even more important, start listening to the greater story. Start digging into the stories of your faith. This is where discipleship needs to grow in our own hearts, where we develop a practice of prayer and we develop a practice of reading Scripture and we get anchored into the stories of our faith. The most resilient disciples that are out there are ones who both are able to engage with the world around them, but they're also able to engage with the stories of their faith. They're able to carry those stories of faith into the world around them. And if we, need, if we want to be agents of transformation in the world, then we have to hold both of these realities in our hands. We have to be deeper in our faith, and we also have to be listening to the stories of all who are around us so that we can bring clarity to the stories that are being told around us. So we need to listen to all voices. We need to listen to the stories of our faith. And finally, we need to listen in preparation for engagement. And we're not just listening so that we can sit in our ivory towers apart from everyone else. We're not just listening so that we're really smart and we know all that's going on in society. And we're not listening to the stories of our faith just so that we can quote scriptures right after one, right after the other. We are listening so that we can be engaged with the society around us. So that we can be prepared to engage. And as a people of faith, you know, I don't think most of us wake up in the morning and are like, I would love to become irrelevant to the world around me would love to just live a life of complete irrelevance of everything that's happening. That's not how we operate in this world, right? We want to be engaged. We want to be relevant to the world. But if we don't follow this step, this process of listening to all things, of listening to the stories of our faith, and listening in preparation to be engaged, then we will be. And you know, the digital Babylon, it's not the first time that we've ever lived in this sort of shifting world. We've lived in a lot of these. Christians throughout the centuries have lived in shifting worlds. As missionaries have gone forward in the world, we've seen this time and time again. And perhaps one of the largest missionary groups ever in the history of Christianity has been the Society of Jesus, or some of you might know them as the Jesuits. Now, the Jesuits are a missionary group. They, they were founded in, in the 1500s, 1600s as a miss, missionary organization of the Catholic Church. And as a missionary organization of the Catholic Church, they expanded out in the 16th and 17th centuries all the way to Asia. They had a huge following. In Asia, and they had a ton of missionaries that were active over there. But none were more active as Father Ricci. Matteo Ricci felt the call of God in his life to be a missionary to China. Now, something that's interesting about the Jesuits is the Jesuits always start out with a deep spirit of listening. In fact, it's been told that some Jesuits, when they walk into a society, they'll go into a society and they will listen and learn for up to 10 years before ever speaking anything about the gospel. Just soak it in. They learn every part of the culture. They learn every part of the customs. They learn all the habits. They learn it all and they embody it sometimes. In fact, Father Ricci's story in and of itself is similar to this. As He felt the call in 1578 to move to China. It took him two years before he actually was able to go over to Asia and receive that. And then when he was there... He didn't even get to go to China then. He sat outside of China for another three years and he learned the Chinese language. And so he he feels the call in 1578. Two years later, he ends up starting this journey of learning the language. And then by 1583, he finally gets to enter China. And when he goes into China, he takes on all the habits. He, In fact, for the first few years, it was said he dressed like a Buddhist monk while he was there. He would put on their clothes and he would wear that. And then after that, he would start to wear the clothes of the Confucian Mandarin. Like he just, whatever culture he was in, he would take that on and he would adopt it. And, and he did become incredibly gifted in the Chinese language. And he learned all the customs and all of those things. But it was nearly 20 years after he arrived that he finally got a chance to meet with the Emperor of China. Twenty years after his arrival, which was five years after he felt the call, twenty-five years of his life listening, soaking up, engaging with the culture. And after twenty-five years of first hearing the call, Father Ricci is able to have this meeting with the Emperor of China himself. See, he served in China for, for 20 years, of course, prior to this meeting. He served another 10 years after this meeting. So he served about 30 years in total. But in the last 10 years of his life in China, on the other side of this meeting with the emperor, he saw more than 2,500 become converts to Christianity. He had this 30-year, 30-plus-year period of time feeling called to the people of China, and it's only the last third of his life where he actually starts to see any transformation in the hearts of the people. But God was doing a work in him of listening, of preparing. In a foreign world with foreign soil, customs, gods, and habits, we have to develop the habit of listening. You know, we get worried all the time. So many people, and I hear this all the time, the church is fading away, the church is fizzling out, the church is dying, the church is, all these horrible things the church would start listening to society. We'd start to see God start to do some work in our world that we've not seen. But we actually have to do the hard work of listening. And listening feels uncomfortable because listening doesn't have that instant point of gratification. Listening doesn't have that, that satisfaction of automatically seeing transformation. But listening is the thing that can lead to lifelong transformation. There are still churches and disciples and people in communist China today who can trace their ancestry back to Father Ricci who chose to follow the call of God but chose to live his life listening as Christ says in the book of Revelation he who has ears to hear let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches and he listened he listened to it all he listened to the stories of his faith, and he listened in order to engage, and he did engage. Father Ricci did engage the group that was around him, and I believe we too are called to engage. I believe we too are called into a place to be in community with the world around us. I believe firmly that the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is the hope of the world. I believe it. That's why I continue to live and operate and work in the call that God has called me to. I believe we are the hope of the world. But as the hope of the world, we have to start listening to the world. To hear what the world is saying and stop just listening to our own echo chamber in our head. And to be engaged in the world in this way. To hear where God is already at work. And to hear where God is calling us to be a part of what He's doing. And if we can recapture this essence of holy listening... And I believe we'll be able to bring hope back into the world. I believe we'll be able to usher that hope back into the world that so desperately needs it. But it's going to call for us, not only as a church, but as individuals, to start figuring out how we listen. And this is my call to you this week. The quickest way that I can imagine for us to discover where we need to listen more is to imagine that one person that we already know what they're going to say. We all have those people. We all have those people in our lives who are like, I know what they're going to say. I know how they're going to answer this. I know what they're going to do. I know what their line of logic is. I know what the old spiel will be. That right there is the moment. That's the place where God can invite us into a space where we can listen. Because we're not listening. We've already made assumptions. We've already built it into our head. This is what this person's going to say. This is how they're going to live. From time to time, God invites us into spaces where we can put aside our preconceived notions but aside what we think someone might be wanting to say. <clears throat> and we can just listen to what actually is being said. What actually are the concerns of another person's heart?